Welcome to Rams Up, your weekly L.A. Rams podcast, bi-weekly during the season. We are a proud member of the Pigskin Podcast Network. We'll cover other SoCal sports items of interest, but we're mostly about your Los Angeles Rams. I'm your host, Mark. Let's get to it. Welcome, Ram fans. This is episode 42 of Rams Up, a recap of the Rams' 38-11 win over the New York Giants in East Rutherford, New Jersey. Before we get started, I got a question. Who you got, Kike Hernandez or Mike Trout? That's how good Kike has been so far in these playoffs for the Red Sox. So happy to see the ex-Dodger turn it up against the Astros. I would love to see a Dodgers-Red Sox World Series. That's what I'm hoping for. But let's get back to the Rams. Finally, a nice, relaxing second half of football because by then the Rams had this wrapped up pretty good. 28-3, to 28 second quarter points on their way to that 38-11 win. Which, by the way, is the 1,067th unique score in the history of the NFL. Yes, that score has never happened before in the history of the NFL, which surprises me because I don't think it's that odd, 38 to 11. My prediction, by the way, was 30 to 16, probably being a little conservative, didn't want to disrespect the Giants too much, but wasn't that far off. Things did not start out well for the Rams, though, a little sluggish, although they were terrorizing Daniel Jones from the get-go. They could not in that Giants opening drive. In fact, the Giants had a 14-play and 10-play drive on their first two possessions. Thankfully, only came away with a three points, a field goal, and then turned the ball over on downs on a fourth and one. Rams also missed some early takeaway opportunities. Several questionable calls hurt them as well, but they finally got it going in the second quarter, put up those four TDs to kind of give us an indication of where this game was going to end up. Also, you may remember last episode, I talked about how the Rams had not benefited from a short field at all this year. All of their drives coming on long drives, 70 plus yards. That changed in this game. They had drives starting at the Giants 12 and 14 yard line. And what we saw happened is what you would expect to happen when a high-powered offense gets a short field to work with. One piece of bad news from this game, Johnny Munt appears to have suffered a serious knee injury. No details yet, but the Rams did not seem optimistic about his return anytime soon. So Munt playing that role as a blocking tight end primarily. We have three tight ends on the roster besides Munt, and I see all of them really as receiving tight ends. So it'll be interesting to see what the Rams do. If Munt is truly out, how are they going to replace him as an inline blocking tight end? What else in this episode? We'll get to the game capture first, kind of go through all the scores. Then we'll have our game notes, big plays of the game, review of the coaches, announcers, and referees, hand out some game balls. After that, we'll talk a little bit about the Dodgers and then our loop around the league. Let's get right into our game capture. The Giants' first two possessions, 14-play and 10-play drives, 
but only got three points out of it. That first drive, they converted a third and 14. That was painful to watch. They also had a little bit of help from the refs, in my opinion. On that second drive, thanks to a fourth and one stop, the Rams get the ball back. So they haven't really showed well up to this point, but they get the stop. They're down three to nothing. Worth noting, they also missed some takeaway opportunities on those first two drives, but they turned the tide on that later in the game. So the Rams' second possession, six-play drive, 66 yards. Big play, a second and 12 pass to Cooper Cup for 28 yards. And Stafford caps it off with a little pass to Woods, who runs it in for the touchdown. Rams are finally on the board early in the second quarter, 7-3. to Giants' very next possession. Oko gets the sack, strips the ball. Leonard Floyd recovers it, sets the Rams up at the Giants' 12, and... Stafford hits Cup with a beautiful fourth and one pass near the right pylon. Cup contorts his body, manages to get the ball inside the pylon, and just like that, the Rams are up 14 to 3. Rams get another takeaway, this time a Taylor Rapp interception. He'd also get another one later in the game. That sets up the Rams at the Giants 14, and this time Henderson runs it in. Daryl Henderson with a TD, Rams up 21 to 3. And also in the second quarter, Rams put together a 73-yard drive. That touchdown coming on a beautiful pass from Stafford to Daryl Henderson all alone. Runs it up at the left sideline into the end zone. Rams up 28-3. The two teams exchanged interceptions late in that half. Typically in this situation, I'm still a little bit nervous about the outcome, but I felt pretty good about this one. It was going to be a nice, relaxing second half in the Rams up man cave, and it surely was. The Rams added a field goal in the second half to go up 31-3. The Giants add a late TD and a two-point conversion to get to that somewhat oddball score of 38-11. Next up, we will review our fearsome four keys to the game. We'll tell you what the big plays of this game were. We'll talk about the coaches, the refing, and the announcers some game notes, and game balls as well. Let's get through some additional game notes here. I'd like to start with a review of my fearsome four keys to the game from my Giant Ram preview. Fearsome key number one, show up. And as I stated, I did not mean that as a shot at the Giants, but the Rams travel across the country against a weaker opponent. They need to come ready to play, not to take this win for granted. And I think they did. Uh, Now, they gave up those two drives at the beginning of the game, but they were playing hard. They were tormenting Daniel Jones from the get-go. They almost had a couple of takeaways. Yeah, they gave up that third and 14, committed some penalties, a few of them questionable. But I think they showed up. And by the time this game rolled into the second quarter, they were starting to take over, put this game away pretty quickly. For some key number two was no freebies for the Giants. And I was especially concerned about their wide receiver, Tony. And the answer there is yes. And this got easier when Tony left the game. Saquon Barkley was already out of the game. They didn't allow a significant punt return or kick return. So that's a solid yes there. For some key number three, finish drives early. That's a solid yes. 
They really didn't have a drive of note until that second quarter, but they had four possessions. Two of them, yes, were deep in giant territory, but they finished them off with touchdowns, added two more TDs, no field goal attempts in the first half. So I'd say that was a yes, they finished their drives. Fearsome key number four was play disciplined football. And I don't know, I'm kind of on the fence on that. Overall, yes, they did. Some of those penalties were very questionable. Going into this game, the Rams were the only team in the Super Bowl era to have five or fewer turnovers, five or fewer sacks allowed, and fewer than 20 penalties over the first five games of the season. And they gave up a couple of sacks. They committed a lot of penalties, which also got them off track a little bit. Some of those, again, were questionable, but there were no major gaffes. Both turnovers were really inconsequential the interception by Stafford and the other one by Wolford. So if you ask me, did they play disciplined football? I would say yes, except for those penalties. But how many of them were penalties? I can think of two that should not have been. So if you ask me if they played disciplined football, except for the seven penalties for 50 yards, I'd say yes. No major gaffes, no big returns allowed. So maybe it's a push on that one. So I got three yeses and one push, lean and no, on my fearsome four keys to the game. Some stats to review. Cup finished with 130 yards and two TDs. Stafford, 22 for 28, just six incompletions. Pretty impressive. The Rams defense held the Giants, a hobbled Giant offense, to 261 yards. Rams had four sacks. Terrell Lewis, Oko. Floyd had one and a half. Donald had a half. Taylor Rapp had the two interceptions. Robert Rochelle had his first career interception. A lot of those team stats, I think you have to take with a grain of salt, especially our defense. This was a giant offense that was not at its best. Severely limited in what they can do. Offensive line banged up. They're running back out of the game, but we'll take those wins where we can get them. Just don't get too excited about that defensive performance. What does it all mean? Well, the Rams get to 5-1. They're 4-1 in the conference. This is a game they could not afford to lose, much like the next two. They cannot collapse against weaker teams if they expect to have any home games at SoFi in the playoffs. What are my fearsome four big plays of the game? I'm going to have three in favor of the Rams and one in favor of the Giants. The Giants' big play of their game was the third and 14 conversion to Tony resulted essentially in three points for the Giants. The Oko strip sack that led to an easy Rams touchdown, the rap interception, which led to another easy touchdown, and my fourth big play of the game, that second and 12 pass to Cooper Cup for 28 yards. That was what really got the Rams rolling, got the engine started on the offensive side of the ball. That was a game changer in my opinion. The thing is with none of these were really that monumental because I felt like the Rams were going to win this game by 15 or 20 points regardless. Those were the plays that stood out to me, though. I wanted to mention that Stafford no-look pass. I was watching that play develop, and I thought he was in the process of throwing an interception. He was looking at Tyler Higbee, and then he threw the ball, and it did not go where he was looking. And I was like, oh, no, what just happened? And then suddenly I see the ball in Cup's hands. So that was kind of cool. Matthew Stafford with a no-look pass. You'll be seeing highlights of that all week. 
player props, game balls, and kudos. Uh, my game ball's got to go to Taylor Rapp. Two interceptions. A lot of people have been calling him out for poor play. I haven't seen it. The games I've watched, nothing stands out to me as being poor play. All I can go by is what other people say on Twitter and pro football focus grades, both of which have been critical, but he looked fine to me today. I also wanted to call out Dante Dion. He made some plays out there, at least three or four passes defended. Very impressive. He may have earned a spot on this permanent roster or at least getting called up on a regular basis until Darius Williams comes back. I also thought those three guys on the edge, Terrell Lewis, Leonard Floyd, and Oko, all had a great day. They were on Daniel Jones. Now, this was a depleted offensive line. Can't get super excited about it, but it was still good to see Daniel Jones. be honest with you, I don't know what he was doing in there at the end of the game. This Rams defensive line was all over him. And Jalen Ramsey and Aaron Donald, I mentioned the Rams showing up. These two guys, they always show up. And it's kind of a bummer for them. You want to talk about player props and game balls. Can we just give both these guys a game ball every game? To say, hey, Jalen, Aaron, here's your game balls. Now, who else? Hey, Taylor Rapp, here's a game ball for you too. These two guys are so impactful in every game. And it happened again this Sunday against the Giants. And you really got to give props to this offensive line and Daryl Henderson had some nice holes opening up for Daryl and he looked really good, really quick, finished his runs. He had that one play, double juke on a couple defenders and then headed north, finished with 78 yards and Sonny Michelle added 42. So our running game was in good shape. Uh, I'd be interested to see the pro football focus grades on our offensive linemen and running backs. Coach's corner, anything I have to say about McVay? The only thing I really would say is maybe he could have pulled some guys earlier. They finally pulled Whitworth out of there and put Noteboom in. Wolford finally got in. I thought Skowronek could have played the last two or three possessions, get Cup and or Woods out of there. Games like that, you're just watching that clock wind down and hoping for no injuries, and I got scared there for a moment. Robert Rochelle went down but he appears to be okay. I also wanted to give McVay props. I loved seeing him fired up. You don't see that that much out of Sean McVay on that fake punt penalty. He was pumped up and in that ref's face. Saw it a couple other times too. Just not having it, fired up. That's a side of Sean McVay we don't see very often, and I kind of liked it. Refing review, I... I I want to know what happened on that fake punt. I can't comment on that until I know, but I have a feeling when I find out, I'm not going to be happy. And there was one play, Rams on defense, no holding on Aaron Donald. It was so obvious. Mark Schlereth called it out. Kudos to him. I don't know what they're watching. Sometimes I think refs have this different rationalization process they go through. I think I've mentioned this before. Hey, you know what? We're going to let you hold Aaron Donald a little bit, sometimes a lot. Otherwise, we're not going to have a football game today. And that may be what happened on that play. There was also a defensive holding on Ramsey that I thought was questionable. And that one play, the fourth and one, where Daniel Jones kept the ball, I thought he made it, to be honest with you. And then he got pushed back. I was surprised the Giants didn't challenge that. But didn't look closely at it. But first look, I thought he made it. 
I wanted to talk a little bit about the announcers, as I always do, Adam Amin and Mark Schlereth. God, I hate saying his name. And I actually like them. They do a very good job. I'm not really familiar with Adam Amin, but I liked him. He does a good job. Schlereth, the only problem with him is he maybe just talks a little bit too much. He has great insight, really good information, but he just needs to pause and not comment on every single moment of the game. Other than that, good job. I also liked Adam Amin's subtle reference to the over-under. When the Giants went for two, he didn't specifically talk about gambling, but I think his comment was, hey, this is an important try here for a lot of people. A lot of people are going to be paying attention to this. The over-under was 49. That two-point conversion made it 38 to 11. And I also liked, as I mentioned before, Schlereth calling out that horrible non-call on Donald. A lot of announcers won't do that. Schlereth did, and that was good announcing. I do wish they had shared with us what the heck was going on with that fake punt. Who got called for it? Do you have any film on it? Anything? Did you miss it entirely? It happened during the play. It must have been on camera. Never saw it. So bad on the production team, not necessarily the announcer's. They should have had the sideline reporter follow up on it, perhaps. That's what I was looking for. What else do we have left? We're going to check in on Major League Baseball, specifically the Dodgers and Braves. And we also have left our loop around the league. NFL fans, hungry for a big win this week? DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL, has you covered. New customers can bet just $5.00 on any NFL team to win their game, and if they do, you win $200 in free bets. Winner, winner, chicken dinner, it's that simple. If Sportsbook isn't available in your state yet, DraftKings won't leave you empty-handed. Everyone can play for huge cash prizes all season long with DraftKings Daily Fantasy Sports Contest. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code TPPN. Bet just $5 on any NFL team to win their game and win $200 in free bets. If they win, you win with promo code TPPN this week at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. New customers only. Minimum $5 deposit and $1 wager required. One per customer Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash sportsbook for details. Gambling problems? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. We need to spend a little time talking about the Dodgers. Since we last talked, the Dodgers eliminated the Giants, and let's not get hung up on that half swing. The Dodgers are going to win that game regardless. Props to Dave Roberts. He really stuck his neck out there with his pitching plan, and it paid off. You know, if that backfires on him, people would never let him forget it. So, got to call him out right now for managing the hell out of that series. Kind of nice to see Cody Bellinger get the game winner after the year he's had. But on to Atlanta, and the Dodgers very quickly find themselves 
in a 2-0 hole. Atlanta takes both games at home. Chris Taylor, of all people, made a base running error in the opener. I had just talked about this last week. Wilmer Flores of the Giants gets thrown out at third with two outs. And then what does Chris Taylor do? Gets caught in a pickle between second and third with two outs. And the next batter up is Mookie Betts. That really hurts. And game two, Dodgers went up 2-0. Jock Peterson hits a ball to the moon. It's 2-2. Chris Taylor redeems himself with a two-run double. They go up 4-2, and their bullpen cannot hold it. One of the strengths of this team, but could not get it done. And I have to tell you, I was watching the Steelers-Seahawks game, bouncing back and forth between that and the Dodger-Brave game. And in my mind, I thought about this, and I said, you know what? I'd rather the Steelers won than the Dodgers. I'm a Ram fan first, so that's where that's coming from. But I think the Dodgers will bounce back. They have dominated the Braves at home. I think they said 10 out of 11. And then, of course, they beat the Braves three straight last year in the playoffs after being down 3-1. to one. So Tuesday night, Dodger Stadium, Walker Bueller of the Dodgers versus Charlie Morton of the Braves. That's it. Afternoon start time, 2.08, I think it is. Kind of odd. Red Sox Astro has been very entertaining. I mentioned at the top of this podcast, in jest, Kike Hernandez or Mike Trout, who do you want? Of course you want Mike Trout, but props to Kike. He has gone off 16 for 32, 9 runs, 9 RBIs, and 5 home runs in the playoffs this year. Kiki is the first player in Major League Baseball history to record 12 hits in a four-game span in a single postseason, and he also has the most ever by a Red Sox through the first six games of a playoff season. I've always liked Kike. Love to see the Dodgers-Red Sox in the World Series. Love to see Alex Verdugo and Hernandez going up Mookie Betts and Joe Kelly, two ex-Red Sox, Dodgers-Red Sox, two iconic franchises. That would be a lot more fun than Houston, Atlanta, which I might not watch at all. I'm going to throw in a baseball pet peeve here, something that's always bothered me, and I saw it again during these series. Why do these networks show a player's postseason stats instead of their regular season stats? I'll give you an example. Yuri Gurriel, they're showing his postseason stats, 211 with two RBIs. That really doesn't mean a lot to me especially someone who doesn't follow the Astros that closely. I want to know what kind of year he had. And I looked it up, 319 with 15 home runs and 81 RBIs. I find that much more useful information than the fact that he's 2 for 11 over a handful of games. And CBS Sports app does the same thing. Some networks will show their regular season stats and then they'll show the postseason. But it seems like the go-to stat is postseason stats. And I don't get it, especially with teams I'm unfamiliar with. If it's the Dodgers, I might want to know how Mookie's doing in the postseason because I have a pretty good idea what kind of season he had. Max Muncy, Corey Seager, same thing. But if I'm watching the Astros or Braves or Red Sox, teams I really don't pay attention to during the regular season, I don't want to know what their postseason stats are. I want to know what kind of year they had. So any of you network production assistants out there hear this, Fix it for me, please. Last up after this, our last NFL segment, our loop around the league.
Let's do our loop around the league. Week six in the books. Well, almost. We got that Monday night game between the Bills and the Titans. The week started off with that Bucks win over the Eagles, 28-22. to There was a taunting call. A lot of people made a big deal about it at the end of that game. I think the Bucks were going to win that regardless. The Jags finally get a win, 23-20 to over the Dolphins. So much for one of my two sleeper picks, the Dolphins and the Panthers. Well, they both actually lost today, but the Dolphins sinking fast. The Ravens smack down the Chargers, 34-6. to No last-minute heroics necessary this time. The Ravens really frustrated that Charger offense all game long. The Chiefs get back in the win column, 31-13 to over the Washington football team. Washington actually led 13-10 to at halftime, and then Mahomes got it going. The Colts, 31-3 to over the Texans. Jonathan Taylor, week in and week out. Putting in the work, this time 145 yards and two TDs. The Vikings 34, the Panthers 26. That was kind of a crazy game. Panthers came back to tie that up late. Eventually went into overtime and the Vikings took care of business. The Minnesota Vikings, your new cardiac kids. They lost to the Bengals in overtime after fumbling at Cincinnati's 38. They lost to the Cardinals after missing a late game-winning field goal. They beat the Seahawks, lost to the Browns. Then they beat the Lions 19-17 on a last-second field goal. And now they beat the Panthers in overtime. Packers 24, Bears 14. Aaron still owns the Bears, apparently. Bengals 34, Lions 11. Sad performance by the Lions. And I was told that Goff was called out by the coach there. Not sure what's going on, but the honeymoon is over for Jared Goff in Detroit, perhaps. The Cardinals 37, the Browns 14. Now, this game had some really strange calls by the referees. The Cardinals were going to win outright, but I really do think the refereeing crew turned what would have been just a big win into a blowout. Bad news for the Browns as well. Kareem Hunt carted off the field. Remember, Nick Chubb is already out. And Baker Mayfield got banged up, but did come back in. Bad showing by the Browns, but the refs didn't help them, that's for sure. The Raiders 34, the Broncos 24, so that Gruden hangover is in the rearview mirror very quickly. The Cowboys 35, the Patriots 19. Now, there were a lot of blowouts this week, but this one was so entertaining in the last few minutes Patriots trying to close it out. Mac Jones throws an interception. Pick six. Then the Cowboys blow a coverage and the Patriots score. The Cowboys get a late field goal from Greg the Leg, forcing overtime. And then Prescott hits Lamb for a winning touchdown in overtime. It would have been nice for the Cowboys to take a loss there from the Rams' perspective. Anytime an AFC team beats an NFC team, well, I'm a fan of that. In another entertaining game Sunday night, the Steelers knock off the Seahawks 23-20. DK Metcalf, I don't know about that guy sometimes. He makes a big play at the end, doesn't step out of bounds, fumbles the ball, and a teammate covers it, and they have to race to the line to spike it. They got it off. They got the field goal off, but DK Metcalf, what are you doing? Step out of bounds there. Then in overtime, Geno Smith fumbles deep in his own territory, and... And the Steelers get the game-winning field goal. 
so the Seahawks fall to 2-4, and four, how sweet it is. One last note on the Seahawks. There is a video of Russell Wilson before the game doing pretend huddles and play calls. I guess some folks thought it was pretty cool. I thought it was kind of weird, but that's all I'm going to say about that. And then, of course, the Monday night game, Bills-Titans. Quick look at the standings of the Cardinals standing proud at 6-0. and Unfortunately, they are in our division. Packers, Bucks, Cowboys, and Rams, all 5-1. and one. There are no teams in the NFC with four wins. Vikings, Bears, Saints, and Panthers all showing signs of life. Seattle 2-4, San Francisco 2-3 with the bye this week. In the AFC, they're Ravens and Bills, top of the heap. Ravens 5-1, the Bills 4-1 with that Monday night game coming up. Bengals, Chargers, and Raiders all 4-2. And And the Titans 3-2 with a chance to get to 4-2 if they can find a way to beat the Bills. And the Chiefs and Browns, you'll find them pretty high in a lot of people's power rankings, but they're both 3-3, as are the Denver Broncos. That's our loop around the league. And that's also a wrap for us this week. A couple of notes about next week, Thursday night, a preview of the Ram-Lion game. The current spread I saw is 13.5 points. I think it's going to go up. I did make a mistake last week. I said Julio Urias was going to get that start against San Francisco. Well, you know what? Everybody thought that until the morning of when Dave Roberts made the announcement. It would not be Urias. He was still the bulk pitcher. Got to give me a pass on that. Remember, you can reach us at ramsuppodcast at gmail.com. You can visit our website at laramsup.com. And don't forget to subscribe and give us that five-star rating. It's greatly appreciated. And remember, keep the horns up, stay safe, and have fun out there. Music courtesy of bensound.com and the YouTube royalty-free music audio library, Crimson Fly by Hama Hama.